This is the story of a squirrel. Fred a river and drown the world. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, a podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 5 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This chapter is called The Storm and What Came of It. I am a knight on a chessboard, moved into the danger of a queen and a castle combined. Wow, how precarious. With a mind full of forlorn hopes, death and glory charges, and last stands. Oh, also known as Kristen. And this is my co-host. I'm Caspian's trumpet from the poop. <laughs> also, also known as Chris. <laughs> uh, I like you. I like you. You're I, great. I thought you might laugh at that one. You're a great, you're a great friend. <laughs> you're, you're a good friend, too. You're a good human. Anyway, uh, I'm also known as Chris, and hello. Hello! How was your Valentine's Day, Kristen? My Valentine's Day is fabulous. So this is the post-Valentine's episode. Yep, comes out day after. Mm -hmm. Discount chocolate day, much more important to me at the moment. (laughs) Yep, since I I did forget to buy you any chocolate, didn't I? Uh, Yeah, yeah, you did. (laughs) Let's, uh, Let's just make that clear to the world. I mean, let's let the record show that I also did make bourbon maple creme brulee. Yes, but I'm also looking for a new platonic chocolate friend, please. <laughs> a new one? Like you, I was your old platonic chocolate friend? Yeah. <laughs> I could. I used to be able to rely on you for chocolate. Should we start this podcast with like five minutes of banter every time? Is that, <laughs> is that so a good way to start? The actual way we start this podcast uh-huh. is as Chris and I are reading the chapter, we each select five sentences from the chapter and pluck them out of context and try to summarize the chapter with the chapter's own words for those who are not reading along with us. So, Chris, would you like to do your five-sentence summary first? Sure, I'll go ahead. This one's a much shorter summary compared to, like, every other chapter of this book so far. (laughs) So we'll just knock that out. The sail swelled out. The tug cast off and began rowing back. The first real wave ran up under the Don Treader's prow, and she was a live ship again. Mm. Before they had finished, this storm struck them. The others all voted for going on in the hope of finding land. It was not a country that welcomed visitors. He would take a stroll inland, find a cool, airy place up in the mountains, have a good, long sleep, and not rejoin the others till the day's work was over. All right. There we go. Okay. Tis mine. What's yours? Here is my five-sentence summary. The ship seemed to move uneasily, as if she felt danger behind her. And there was hardly any rest for anyone, and nothing could be cooked, and nothing could be dried, and one man was lost overboard, and they never saw the sun. What awaited them on this island was going to concern Eustace more than anyone else, but it cannot be told in his words, because after September 11, he forgot about keeping his diary for a long time. 
He rose quietly from his place and walked away among the trees, taking care to go slowly and in an aimless manner so that anyone who saw him would think he was merely stretching his legs. He was in an utterly unknown valley, and the sea was nowhere in sight. There we go. That's very similar ideas. This is a very Eustace-heavy chapter. It is. Uh, This chapter is also written in such a way that, personally, I like. I like the structure of this, and if the entire book had been written in the style of this chapter, I feel like I'd like it much more. Even though we're only five chapters in, it's like, this might be have become my favorite book if it was written in this style. Because, like, I... You just, you just like the, the diary entries. I love diary entries. I love maritime stories. I love stories on ships. And when you combine those things, it's magical. And I've only ever read a couple of books that are done in that way of, like, this is a ship's journal. And, like, I adore them. Mm-hmm. Um... It's just like they have a special place in my heart. And if that's what Lewis was going for, it would have been fantastic. However, he says in the chapter, hey, this isn't going to keep happening. This so is, This is the last entry in Eustace's journal for a while. That's, yep. like, that's like the one time that Lewis's like fourth wall breaking is actually useful because it's like, oh, you shouldn't expect this for the rest of the book. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> um, what a disappointment yeah. for you. <laughs> So anyway, we cast off. They get towed out. Uh, the Don Treader is off on a, another voyage. And we're going to be doing some math here because we talk about the length of this voyage and like we, rationing and that kind of that kind of stuff. And I wanted to point out before we get into all of it that in the last chapter, we did establish that they loaded up the ship with, I believe it was, uh, 28 days worth of supplies. Correct. 28 days worth of supplies. Which means if you were doing an out and back journey, two yeah. weeks out, two weeks back. Yes. So let's keep that in mind as we go through it, because like we're we're gonna run into some supply issues really soon. Yes. Which I which I had mentioned they would, because that's not very much supplies for a ship that's going on a voyage to who knows where. For a year and a day. Yeah. So they take off and they they have a good few days out at sea. Like I think it's two to four days, right? Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, uh, two to four days. Apparently, while they were on the Lone Islands, Lucy just had the time and the money to go buy all sorts of stuff. Like, she went on a shopping spree, and it talks about how she got buskins and cloaks and jerkins and scarves and all these things. But you're also, like, she is a queen traveling with a king. So kind of, like, it isn't, this is a society in which wealth follows the wealthy. Like, you have to remember that. And so, and also... She was shoeless. She she had a she had no clothes of uh like she was borrowing Caspian's clothes. Yeah, I'm not judging like, her for going on the shopping spree. I'm just saying it happened. Yeah, but like <laughs> I'm saying gifts gifts of that kind follow people who have resources. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's just how welcome to the western world. Uh, <laughs> you know, Narnia, the west. Which I guess it is, because they're sailing east. Like, Narnia is the west, though, on the on the continent that Narnia is on. They're the easternmost one, so whatever. Um, anyway, so Lucy is no longer wearing Caspian's clothes. So let's make a note of that when uh-huh. we're envisioning Lucy in our minds. <laughs> um, yes. But anyway, they have a good few days. Uh, Lucy plays a lot of chess with Reaper Cheap, apparently. Yep. He's really into chess, though sometimes bad at it because he forgets that he's playing a game. Well, um. <laughs> you know, his mind is full of, of death and glory. Yeah. 
as uh, he heads off to the end of the world to fulfill his siren dream. Like <laughs> that should have been, that should have been a line in there. That's good. Why aren't you writing this book? Um, <laughs> because um, I'm writing a I'm reading a podcast about it. I'm making a podcast about it. Um, anyway, so then the storm hits. They did not get very far, and then they get hit by a storm, which we have mention of later in Eustace's journal that it, uh, you know it's a hurricane. Probably maybe not a hurricane, but it's a huge storm. Well, and they are caught in the storm for 12 to 13 days. Eustace says it was obviously 13, but yeah. nobody else seems to be able to keep track, and they all say it was 12. Apparently. So 12 days, they get stuck. They're buffeted. I like how you believe them, too. You're like, nope, it, Eustace says it was obviously 13, but clearly it was 12. <sighs> because Eustace is I thought, really... I thought you believed Eustace. I, I thought you were the Eustace apologist I was, of It's this. so hard in this chapter. This chapter has broken me. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Because it's so hard to defend anything he talks about here. But anyway, it, there's a lot of language that talks about the storm. They get buffeted around by the waves. Like, the ship gets beat right the heck up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lose their mast. Yeah, uh, they lose their mast. They lose a crewman. Yeah, they lose a guy overboard. They lose some of their water. They have some of their, their casks of water break. And the chickens. The and chickens they lose the chickens. Overboard. I mean, they wouldn't have been lane anyway during the storm yeah. but you know regardless they still lost the chickens did you know that chickens don't lay during a storm i mean i wouldn't lay an egg during a storm <laughs> that's good to know <laughs> okay keep that in mind <laughs> i don't know <sighs> i guess i guess is that actually true like i mean while we're talking about chicken eggs just being chicken periods like that we can eat like is this really just like do chickens have storm prevention? Like <laughs> that—that's one of those sentences I feel like nobody has probably ever said in the history of the English language. Which one? Do chickens have storm prevention? <laughs> that's that might be a brand new one there. Um, <laughs> Do chickens have storm prevention? Uh, you heard it. You heard it here, folks. You heard it. You cannot ever say yeah. you heard it here you first. You heard it here first, folks, Every which is a really time. hard phrase to say. Every single time you try to say that. <laughs> you heard it. You heard You heard it. You heard You heard it. gourd. I just turn into a drunk pirate whenever I try to say that phrase. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, so we get beat up by the storm. No, we don't. The and... ship does. <laughs> the royal we including the ship. I don't know. Um, but after it's over, Eustace starts keeping his diary again. Yep. His journal. Sorry, he's a man. It's a journal. Uh, I'm sorry. You don't really need to. Uh, <laughs> you really don't need to do that. Uh, he keeps. He starts keeping his diary again on September 3rd, mm-hmm. uh, which apparently he's kept track of since he's been in Narnia, even though time is vastly different. So we don't actually know what day it is. It could be, you know, October could be five years from now back on earth who knows we don't know how time works uh but anyway eustace is is a big statement we just don't know how time works that's true that's true uh eustace starts keeping the diary and just goes on and on and on and just has several pages of complaints uh and that's basically all he does here fiends Uh, in human form these people he's surrounded by they are fiends in human form so they were in the hurricane for 13 days and nights uh, that he insists it was not 12. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Caspian and Edmund are simply brutal to me. I'm just going to read a few choice excerpts here. I see, I see. They're they're brutal. Uh, you know, they lost their mast. Uh, so yeah, anyway, um, they lose water. They go down to half a pint of water a day, which is not a lot of water. I don't know if you've ever tried to go through a day only drinking eight ounces of water. That's kind of unpleasant. I've done it accidentally a number <laughs> of times, and yes, it's very unpleasant. Uh, they did have the sense to realize that rum and wine would only make them thirstier, though. So at least there's that. Yeah, at least there's that. <sighs> Just uh, reading some, trying to find some more excerpts here, because he, he really does go on for a while, and this is why I have a trouble like defending Eustace in this chapter. Because, like, yeah, the situation sucks, but it sucks for everybody. It's like being on a wrecked ship after a storm with, like, no land in sight. Rations, like, yeah, it's a terrible situation. Mm-hmm. But, like... For everybody, not but, just yeah. you, Eustace. But everybody else is literally in the same boat. <laughs> 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 um, anyway, uh, and then he tries to steal some water. Yes. Because he gets sick. <laughs> I do appreciate, though, that we are given the entirety of the story of him trying to steal water from his own perspective uh-huh. without any kind of, like, cut to what anybody else said or did or thought about it. Yeah. Uh, he does call Edmund an interfering prig here. Yes. It's like, because he was trying to stop Lucy from giving him uh, giving yeah, uh, uses extra water rations. From which, her supply. Which she did. She did end up doing consistently for a little while, mm-hmm. telling him that girls need less water than boys. Well, and he obviously. goes, I always suspected as much. <laughs> which, uh, of all, like, the weird sexist stereotypes, that's that's what I don't even get. Like, yeah. That's... This... <laughs> that's... I mean, that's... That's an odd one, I guess. I mean, it, I guess it would be nice. Like, that would be a positive thing. It's like if you needed less water, you'd be better suited for arid environments. Yeah. Than than boys are, so that's a that's an evolutionary uh, advantage. Yes, which is <laughs> also not true as far as I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you drink a lot more water than I do, so accurate. In our relationship, that's not true. Anyway. <laughs> it's very not true. But also, I do like I don't know. Never mind. Whatever. Cool. So he tries to steal water because he gets real thirsty. He gets caught by Reepicheep, who is too small to help on the deck, so he's been guarding the water, apparently, for just such an occurrence. Yep. Because he's like, somebody's going to try to steal this stuff. And I guess they didn't have the uh, any of the supplies to, like, make a steal or anything on board. So. Well, you know, <laughs> apparently not. Yeah. I think that it's interesting that um, Eustace immediately is just like, they didn't suspect Reepicheep of anything. No, of course they didn't, because he's there to protect the water. That's his whole job, dude. Like, well, he'd be the last one they suspected, though. It's like that. He does have a point there. It's like the guy guarding the water. Like, nobody's gonna suspect him. Maybe that's why he's doing it in the first place. You he's know sneaking what? A, he's sneaking a drop or two. If Reepicheep <laughs> sneaks, I mean, like. Reepicheep probably only needs a quarter of a pint of water every day anyway. Like him sneaking water, he's probably just coming up to everyone else's ration to begin with. Possibly. Like, let's be real here about how how much water does a terrier-sized mouse even need. Yeah. And then Caspian shows his true colors as a brutal tyrant. 
because he gets uh Eustace gets caught and Caspian is just like anybody caught stealing water gets two dozen gets two dozen what I don't know obviously it's lashes that's that's something that would show up in the books those Pevensey kids read oh yeah absolutely <laughs> but yeah it's interesting that Eustace has no idea of a concept for corporal punishment like we've established that he doesn't go to a school where they would ever do corporal punishment yeah. one of those schools yeah but like he also just doesn't even have a concept for it on a seafaring vessel like yeah which is like it, it feels like it's like actual historical information he should have figured out like you would think from his non-picture books you know yeah you would think so but i would obviously there's, that's there's, why i said it yeah but these there's these, these huge gaps in eustace's knowledge that are unexplainable uh <laughs> yeah no no i don't think that we missed anything on that and then uh we have some fine weather finally come around some fine sailing mm-hmm. and we have some seagulls land ho goals goals ho uh I think we see the land first before we see the seagulls. Yeah, he says that there's right. land nearby, yeah. but then his next thing is just like, gulls, gulls today. Do you remember the seagulls? Do you remember? <laughs> They've showed up again. Yes. This is a motif. Is this a motif at this point? I don't the know. Seagull. I like. I feel like to some extent it is, but uh-huh. like we have gulls and this chapter, not only does it have seagulls, but it also has trees. It does have trees. We get trees again. Yes. Because uh, we come up to... What looks to be an uninhabited island, uncharted island, that uh, as far as we know, nobody's ever seen before because nobody has any stories about what actually exists beyond the Lone Islands. Correct. So this, uh, they might be the first people to ever set foot there. Uh, but they come up to this craggy island that's like covered in trees, but has all these high spiky cliffs and looks very inhospitable. Yeah, they have a hard it's time like, finding a place to like even land because yeah. it does seem very ominous, very... Yeah. craggy very yeah they it does not want to welcome visitors at all yeah. uh but nonetheless it's a place that has fresh water there's a river they can refill their water supplies it has trees that they can cut down and rebuild a mast with mm-hmm. like this is providence if if nothing else uh and the first thing eustace thinks of is like he's gonna he's gonna wander off and avoid the work because he's well, just like i mean the first thing eustace thinks is good we can all get some rest now yes and everybody immediately goes to work trying to repair the ship, as one does. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, you would think they enjoy being on the ship the way that they just jumped at the opportunity to fix it. <laughs> and it's like, um, no, they're actually, like, that is kind of their home right now. And yeah, they do kind of want to make sure that it's uh, fixed. <laughs> so, yes. They do love being on the ship, and shut up, dude. So, yeah, they go straight to work. All of the crew go straight to work. They start making a plan on how to fix the boat, get the water. And Eustace is just immediately like, well, I thought we were going to take a break for a second. Nah, bruh. So, yes, he makes the plan to wander off. And nobody notices. He just like... You know, well, he, he goes about it in a clever manner. Yeah, just stretching his legs. He's meandering aimlessly. doesn't really seem like he's going anywhere. And uh, nobody notices him just kind of disappear. And he walks, uh, goes on a little hike, goes up a mountain, which apparently he would not have been able to do before. And this was, uh, this journey has been good for him. Well, he is 
increasing his endurance, his wherewithal, his willingness to like put in effort to do anything. Because mm-hmm. he has defeated or moved past the island of sloth question mark hang on hang on you're you're getting into my territory of speculation okay 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 but like if if we are talking about like just the symbol symbolism of how this journey has affected eustace Mm -hmm. it obviously has because it basically says like had he been at harold and alberta's house like he would never have continued in the effort he would have stopped the first time that this trip got hard. Yes. And he has made it to a high outcropping where he can look down and see the ship. Yep. And the water and everything down below. Yep. And he, uh, you know, tries to enjoy himself up there. He doesn't and enjoy himself. He doesn't because he gets lonely. Almost for the first time. Almost for the first time. And he has this sudden panic attack about the idea that everybody's going to leave him there. Yes. Just like, oh, hey, nobody saw me wander off. They might fix the ship and just take off and leave me on this island. Uh, And he gets super scared and decides he's going to rush down because he doesn't understand that they would never leave him behind. Which we have very much this same uh, acknowledgement of, oh, when was this? This is a mirror of something. If, If he had known what honorable sorts were like, Yes. Well, who is this mirroring? Uh, that was. My... This is Shasta, right? This is Shasta. Yes, this is Shasta in the horse and his boy when he's like not understanding what a noble person would do. Yeah, and that's a good point. Uh, which I and was... it's also the same people. It's encountering Edmund, mm-hmm. and in that case, Susan. Yeah. As the Narnians, and was Lucy there in that one? Uh. Yes. Well, maybe. No, 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 because she had been yeah. back and she came into the battle at the end. Oh yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, we have this this moment at least with Edmund echoed, where a character doesn't understand what it means for this character to be noble. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you said Shasta, or you said Edmund, but you meant Shasta. No, 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 no. I'm saying Shasta met Edmund. Oh, okay. Yes. And didn't yeah, understand. Yeah what it meant for a king to be noble. Yes. Because uh, what I was going to say is, like, the journey that Eustace is going on in this chapter kind of echoes Edmund. And I feel like you you have a point where this is almost a mix of, like, the characters of Edmund in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe mm. and Shasta. Yeah. Um, because, like, when we first meet Edmund, he is this very, like, complainy character uh lazy uh kind of you know out for himself he's willing to blame everybody else for his own problems he's very much this kind of eustace character uh and he gets the redemption arc and then also has the notes of shasta who's just like you know grown up in this environment where you know everybody is like that everybody is selfish and he doesn't understand that people could be another way Mm -hmm. though I guess Eustace, we have less of an argument there from his environment because we don't establish his parents as particularly, like, cruel or selfish people. So... They're just, you know... They're very advanced. Advanced. (laughs) So I don't know if we have the same excuse for him uh, other than the fact that he's being kind of introspective and being like, well, I feel this way, so obviously everybody else does. Yeah. Um, And isn't recognizing the, the fact that nobility or altruism can exist. 
Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's maybe that's the point of Eustace in this book is that he is another redemption art character. I mean, possibly. And I think that it's important that Edmund is present as part of this journey for Eustace. Mm-hmm. And the way that Eustace calls Edmund a beast and an interferer and, and a fiend in human form and all yeah. of these things, like, I think that that's very interesting because Edmund is the goal of the Eustace character journey and arc. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, yeah. The goal here is for Eustace to become more like Edmund. Yeah. Because they're both having the same starting point. Yeah. Will we see that? I don't know. Because, like. Do you think we won't? Like, really? No, I think we'll see. C.S. Lewis. I mean, I think we'll see part of a redemption, but at the same time, like, the Edmund that we have today is the product of 15, 20 years of, you know, him being a ruler in Narnia. It's like he is he is very aged uh, in the body of a 10-year-old boy, which you've established. Yeah. So, like, Eustace isn't going to have that kind of time in this book. However, I think he can get to. You don't think Eustace is going to stay in Narnia? <sighs> I don't know. We'll see. For 10 years? He does get lost. Uh, he scrambling down the mountain trying to get back to the ship. He does find himself in a valley that he's unfamiliar with and can't see the ocean and... We end the chapter with him being lost in the woods. Yeah, we also have fog. We do have fog. He goes up in the mountain, there's fog, and he gets lost coming down in the mountain. Mm -hmm. And the fog is very much, like, just kind of passive, but fog is often used in symbols of, like, this clouding of judgment and getting lost in the woods or in the mountains is often a result of this fog's presence. And so from like an analytical storytelling like an, like perspective, mm-hmm. like the fog is very symbolic. Well, this is And also- we have the fog uh, once again mirroring from Shasta's experience in the mountains where Shasta goes up in the mountains into the fog mm-hmm. and meets the lion. Mm-hmm. And the lion ends up protecting him from falling off the edge of the mountain without him even knowing. Mm-hmm. And so in this moment, we have Shasta coming down the mountain and getting lost mm-hmm. in the fog, coming down. Was he not being protected or was he being protected? We don't know. Was he being driven towards something or away from something? We don't know yet. We don't have any resolution in this chapter. But something for your baseless speculation there to throw that into it of like, where is this fog mm-hmm. coming from from a symbolic myth system? Like, yeah. If he got high enough to be in the mountains, high enough with cloud cover, then he's probably just, you know, whatever. But the symbolic echo of this from Shasta's story is is important. Yeah. Or pre precursor to this because that was written after. True enough. Uh, so anyway, that's what happens in the chapter. Did we have anything to add on that? I think we covered... Uh... Yeah, I mean, like, I think the only thing that we we really didn't touch on there was just, like, how how much Lucy is actively being her valiant self and caring for Eustace in a way that Eustace just does not accept or receive or understand mm-hmm. for what it is. Yeah. And how even Edmund recognizes what Lucy is doing and is just like, stop, he's not worth it. Yeah. And of all of the people to say he's not worth it, mm-hmm. Edmund is a fool to be that person because Edmund was that person. Yes, but he already had his like whole redemption arc in the last book, uh, 
Prince Caspian, where, you know, we, we got to see Edmund having introspection and, you know, very much coming back from the folly of his, uh, his previous self, where he has all those conversations being like, no, I learned my lesson about, you know, thinking Lucy is wrong and yeah uh, all this other stuff so he, he he's aware of who he used to be yes but he's also sitting here being like lucy you're wrong <laughs> yeah. when he's also very aware that lucy has been this holy spirit character just in their last experience in narnia yeah narnia narnia, narnia. <laughs> where she saw the lion and he didn't and he had to try to believe her yeah and like just the fact that that happened at all in their last trip to Narnia should should be a reminder to him that he's not... I, I guess I just want to say he has no place to question Lucy's decision on caring about somebody. I guess yeah. that's, that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. So she's definitely the more patient one here. Oh, yeah. Ah. So. Uh... So, uh, we, would we like to move on to our next segment? Sure, let's move said? on. Yeah, just uh, overall, like I said, I liked the, the way the chapter was written. I feel like plot-wise, it was very, very simple. Because, you know, we leave, we get caught in a storm, we find an island. And Eustace goes and gets lost. Also, we have, like, the little stealing of the water, just continuing this antagonism between Reepicheep, specifically, and Eustace. But we also have a moment of development for Eustace, where he feels lonely for the first time. Yes. And so this is the, I feel like this is the crux of like potential change for him right here. Like this moment. Getting lost on the island. Getting lost on the island and feeling lonely and being afraid that the others would leave him. Now, why would you be afraid the others would leave you? Because you think that they don't actually care about you. Yeah. And I think that is a trigger for Eustace uh-huh. to realize, like in this moment, what he realized was, I don't think they care about me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is an important character realization moment. Yeah. And I think that that can be the starting point for some major changes in his character. And I think we're seeing the starting point of his journey of change. Yeah. I think that that is... His conversation with Aslan, if you will, with Edmund, you know, whatever. You're on a roll right now. You see, you got some themes. I got some themes. I got some <laughs> themes. You're like, nothing happened in this chapter. I'm like, but the symbolism and the allegory and the representation of all of these themes. Is Eustace the protagonist of this book? Uh, I think so. To, to At least to this point, it feels like that's the case. We were following Lucy pretty closely, but... Yeah. Eustace really feels like the only one with any Eustace really feels like the only one with anything to prove or gain from this experience because we've kind of established that Lucy is still all saintly yeah. and Edmund is still kind of aloof but open to whatever and Caspian is still on his adventure and journey like and growing as a king. Yeah. Um but with that said, yeah, I do feel like Eustace is, to some extent, the main character of this book. See, but also on the subject of themes, like, we also have three or four distinct sentences. You used one of them, and I used one of them in our summaries that talk about the ship being alive. 
she was a live ship again, one of your sentences said. Uh Mine, my first sentence was, the ship seemed to move uneasily as if she felt danger behind her. Uh So within the themes, there was just one other symbol I wanted to to bring in just as this thing. Uh What is the ship representing? What part of their journey, which character is... What is the ship representing? Because the ship is clearly representing something in this journey. Is it? Oh, I think it is. Isn't it just a ship? I think it... I don't think the ship is just a ship. I think that the ship is a parallel of someone's journey. Is it the relationship (laughs) between, like, Lucy and Eustace? Like, I don't know. I I think it it, it might be the relationship (laughs) between Eustace and the others. Uh And this is the point of it being most broken. And everyone is here on the island in an attempt to fix it, and he wants to run away from the fixing process. Yeah. And things got, he got lost. Things are going to happen. Yeah. They're going to have to come find him if he got lost, or he's going to have to fight to find his way back. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. I feel like we're, we're just speculating here, and that's not the segment for that. So we should go to our next segment, which is Narnia Chopped and Screwed. Where we find five more sentences in the chapter and we use them to write our own story based on what's already there. Yep. And we just uh, combine those ingredients, do a little deconstructed Narnia action. Uh, If you're listening to this episode, you've probably heard us do this many times, so I don't know why I have to explain it every time. I don't know. Somebody's out there just like, I'm starting with episode 64. That's that's the one for me. Um, (laughs) You did your summary sentences first, so I'll go ahead and do my rewrite first. Yeah. Here is my rewrite. Ahem. The fog lifted. He was a good player, and when he remembered what he was doing, he usually won. There is something dark ahead, and, and now, where are those trees? He began almost for the first time in his life to feel lonely. We ended on the same sentence. Ah, there you go. Uh-huh. So it was a it was a good line. It is a good line. Uh, but I do I do like your 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 theme there of feeling lost or feeling yeah. Uh, uh, which I also went for the very similar theme. Oh, but I did it. Uh, but you did it better. Okay. No, I think Jeez. I I think I was trying to do it from Caspian's perspective and kind of changing Caspian's uh, outlook here. Mm. Um, but I don't know. It might be it might be Eustace. But here's mine. She looked a crippled, discolored hulk, which anyone might have taken for a wreck. He didn't take any notice of this, which is always his way when he can't think of an answer. For his mind was full of forlorn hopes, death or glory charges, and last stands. But he had persuaded himself that they were all fiends in human form. He began almost for the first time in his life to feel lonely. And that was my idea of Caspian just going on this very hopeless voyage of, like, you know, into the unknown and into death. Into the unknown! Yeah. So, that was okay. mine. I like that. I like that. <laughs> um, you used a sentence in that that I we've mentioned a couple of times, or, we've, or I've referenced a couple of times. Uh, forlorn Hopes? No. Okay. Which one? Fiends in human form. Yeah. I think... 
Are, are, we, are we rolling right into baseless speculation? I think that we are going to have a shift in view mm-hmm. of Eustace and just kind of... I, I think that one could argue Eustace is currently a fiend in human form. And he is arguing continuously that the others are fiends. Yeah, I feel like... Well, let's put a label on this before we continue. So in the last segment, what we do is we... uh, Since I have never read this book before doing this podcast, I don't know what's going to happen. And I like to baselessly speculate based on the information that's presented there. And that's what this segment is called. It's baseless speculation. Where I just, you know, throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Sometimes Mm -hmm. things do. Most of the time I get it wrong. Uh, but that being... Sometimes he tells a better story, though, so... <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that being said, though, yeah, um, Eustace as a fiend, sure. I think fiend implies something much more malicious than Eustace has, because I don't think Eustace is a malicious character. He tried to steal water on a boat! Because he's selfish. Uh, but I think there's a, there's a fine line there, and maliciousness is trying to hurt others, and I don't think that's ever what he's trying to do. Uh, I mean... There was that one time with Reepicheep, which was, we can say that was a malicious moment. I See, but you could also sit there and say, Pug's not malicious, the slave trader. Like, he is <sighs> just selfish and trying to make his own way. Yeah, I guess so. Um, maybe, maybe. But like, who's going to make the argument that a slave trader is not a fiend? Mm-hmm. Like, not you. <laughs> No. Yeah, I'm just assuring you. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta make sure I don't go there. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we're gonna we're gonna go back to something I mentioned two chapters ago, I believe, that I think there's gonna be a theme, uh, and a running motif here in this book, where they're gonna go to all these different lands, and this is like an island hopping story, and they're gonna go to all these different islands and encounter all these things, which are representations of the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. because we go to the Lone Islands and encounter Sloth, and that's the first one we hit, and maybe we hit six more. Oh, well, now we go to an island where Eustace is alone. He's alone. After going to the Lone Islands. Yes. Uh, and Sorry, so, I just liked that. <laughs> and so I have this idea that, and I struggled really hard this morning trying to come up with a word for this because I know there's something like this that exists in Allegory. If you have the word, please let me know. But Eustace is taking on, I don't want to say taking on the mantle because I say that all the time. Mm-hmm. Eustace is uh, kind of absorbing the traits and the nature of these places. So he goes to the Lone Islands, which is the uh, the embodiment of sloth, and comes away, you know, writing in his journal being like, oh, I didn't want to work. I stayed in bed all day and like just takes on this, uh, you know, this atmosphere of sloth into himself that he picks up from there. And maybe he is, he's just a sponge that's going to go through all these things. And maybe that's the, the catalyst for his character growth, is that he goes and absorbs these things into himself. He wrestles with them. He has to defeat them in order to move on and, and grow. Uh, yes, I can appreciate that. I don't think that it is an absorbing of so much as it is a revealing of something that exists within him. Yes. Yeah, I don't think he's going to the Lone Island as this representation of sloth, and he's coming away from it more slothful mm-hmm. than he was before. I think that he's going to the Lone Islands as a slothful person and coming away 
with us being more aware of his slothfulness. Yeah. Because we just saw it presented in a in a very visual way. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a good take on it as well. But I think at the very end of this chapter, he does defeat that. Like he overcomes the sloth. Like he goes through this storm. Mm-hmm. And then we have this whole scene of him climbing the mountain. And previously, Eustace would have given up on this, but he manages to climb the mountain. He gets to the top. He overcomes. Yes, but the his whole goal in doing that is to avoid work. Yeah. So which is... he is doing more work than he ever would have done before, but he's doing it with the sole intention of avoiding work. Which is is that irony? I know I never know what irony <laughs> is. Is that ironic? To some extent, yes. I want to say it is. Um, So my question is, what is this island going to be? My first instinct is this is pride. Okay. And this is going to be Pride Island because Eustace is just like, nope, don't need anybody else. I'm going to go off on my own. I'm going to climb this mountain. And then I'm going to get lonely and And see that maybe I do need other people. It's lonely at the top Mm. is what they say. Okay. So this could be Pride. Is that yeah. why it's such a craggy and unwelcoming island? Yeah. It's like, it's, they, they see this. So defensive of itself. Yeah. It's like, I say pride only because I can't make anything else fit, really. Okay. So. We'll... I can't wait till you read the next chapter. <laughs> so we'll see where it goes. There, um, I'm going to, I'm going to just spoil this for you. There is something that fits. Okay. And it's not pride. But pride does work really well as well. Maybe this represents two things. an island can't represent two things Kristen. i know i know (laughs) but we'll have to see because if there's only ends up being five islands that they visit in the entire book we might have had to combine sins to make the seven deadly sins some symbolism work but there are seven lords yes and we got to find each of the seven lords we have to find each of the seven lords we have found one do you think we're going to find one on this island do you think eustace is going to find one on this island and not be lonely anymore maybe i don't know uh but yeah, I, Maybe I am. You don't know. Maybe I, you do. I am curious because, like, there's that whole line that says, "What happens on this island concerns Eustace very much more than anyone else," mm-hmm. and he forgets about keeping the journey. Oh, a journal. Yeah. I'll be completely honest. I forgot that this chapter happened this early. Uh-huh. I thought they went to one more island before they got to this island. Interesting. So some something happens here that's very personal to him and means a lot to him that, as a character. That I remember. Yeah. Twelve, eighteen years after reading this book. Oh. For the first time. There we go. All right. So we'll see next week. Indeed. We will see next week when we read chapter six, The Adventures of Eustace. Well. Well. Alternate title for this book. Yes. <laughs> the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, subtitle, The Adventures mm-hmm. of Eustace. Yep. So you want to go ahead and take us out? Sure. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, if you want to interact with us on social media, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. If you want to give us money because you're cool like that, um, you can do so at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast and buy us a coffee or something. So, yeah, do that. Be cool. Uh, and also, if for some reason you like listening to the sound of our voices, uh, we all we do both have other podcasts that we're involved in right now. No way. I know it's crazy. Uh, we're, we we spend more time than this. We do. on projects like this. I, it's it's insane. It's like we don't even get paid for it, <laughs> <laughs> and we don't advertise either. So advertisers, if you're listening and you want to get on this action, like 
we we can be bought uh, but any uh it's, it's a vast departure, so if there's an overlap of people who like listening to literature podcasts, but you also like Dungeons & Dragons or tabletop role-playing games, uh, I just started doing a, an actual play D&D podcast where we're sitting down playing games every other Saturday with a bunch of our friends, and it's totally amateur production stuff, but it's really fun, and you should listen to it. That one's called Carpe DM. So C-A-R-P-E, like the, the Latin phrase, but just the letters D and M because it's a pun. Uh, yes. And now you're going to have to explain it that way every time <laughs> you want to plug it. Well, because, because if you, if you just look up the Latin phrase. good names. Yes. Because if you just look up the phrase, it doesn't bring anything up. You have to spell it out. Uh, so Carpe DM, if you look that up and listen to us, it'd be fantastic. Cool. It's also not family friendly, so please have that warning ahead of time and don't expect our same level of restraint <laughs> yes. that we show in this podcast. Uh, very much that. So thank you. But it's a delight and it's very fun to participate in and I'm enjoying it a lot. So I'm glad. Anywho, uh, go ahead and finish taking us out there, Kristen. Um, thank you again for joining us today. We will see you next week with the next chapter. And as always... Don't try to steal water from a mouse. And don't count your chickens before a storm. <laughs> Bye. No way! It's crazy, isn't it? We're um, doing more of this microphone stuff. We are doing more of the microphone stuff, and it's a very vast departure. I from, don't believe uh, you, because I'm only editing this podcast. Oh, I'm editing the other one. What? I know. This chapter has broken me. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia. This is a podcast in which I don't remember how to do the intro. I've messed up two of my nails now. Wow. <sighs> As uh, he heads off to the end of the world to fulfill his siren dream. Like. That should have been, that should have been a line in there. That's good. Why aren't you writing this book? Um, <laughs> well, I she mean, was able to... A, she is a queen. Do chickens have storm prevention? Like, <laughs> yes, but I'm also looking for a new platonic chocolate friend, please. <laughs> a new one, like you? I was your old platonic chocolate friend. Yeah, <laughs> I could. I used to be able to rely on you for chocolate. <laughs>